One is a hardcore extrovert, the other, not so much. And that's just the beginning. So how do they do it? Today, Alan and Julie Briggs share how they have overcome some challenges, become students of each other, and make a difference in the community and the world along the way. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Hello there, Legendary Marriage family. This is Danielle and Justin. So whether you've been listening a long time, or maybe this is the first time, we're so glad you're joining us. Yes. Hey, a couple things to mention before we dive into today's show. First of all, we want you, if you're ready, we want to help you share your story on the show in order to inspire and challenge other couples. The process is super easy, and we promise to be gentle. Not like last night. Whoa. Uh, you can, if you're interested, you can just head on over to legendarymarriage.com slash guest. All right. Next up is the Legendary Marriage Intensive. Y'all asked for it, so we have scheduled one. It's October 18th through the 21st in Breckenridge, Colorado. We only have three spots left, and it is going to be awesome. All right. I'm just remembering... Um, jeeping up the side of the mountain oh, where yes. it was like nice and sunny and everything at the bottom. And then we get up to the top of the mountain and it was like a blizzard. And just having that shared adventure together was, it was worth the trip for us. And that was just one piece of it. There's yes. so much more. If you want we, to learn more, head on over to legendarymarriage.com and check out the details. All right. This is episode... 90, and we're happy to have back on the show Alan Briggs, and this time he's brought his awesome wife, Julie, to the show as well. They are going to share their couple story from falling in love on the church stage to adopting two children, even when they were living in their parents' basement, to visiting a new brewery each weekend. They are an awesome couple with so much to share. Um, They do talk about their themed date nights. What do you think about that, honey? Doing like a, a, a theme for like date nights. Okay. I, I like that. What about if you were to choose a theme, they do one for each year. What would you choose? Um, how about horror movies? Does it like have- every date has some kind of a horror movie scenario or, or something like that? Like, Ooh. we could go and date and tour different different uh, sets for movies. Like, oh, we could go to the Bates Motel. I'm not sure this feels very romantic, <laughs> but... All right, well, what do you got? Okay, so how about live music? That could be my theme. I could be all about that. Like, we could go to concerts. Oh. We could go downtown. We could go to restaurants that have a cool like music going on. We could go to the park where they're playing music. What do you think? That, that, that sounds better. Better than horror movies? In um, some ways, yeah. I could get behind like different haunted houses around Halloween time. That could We've be been there, fun. done that. I know, but that was like when we were 19 or something. I forget. And yeah. You're over it? You don't want to uh, do I'm that? A, I'm over that. Okay. All right. We need, we'll grow it up a little bit. All right. Well, we're just throwing ideas around. But <laughs> our, our couple today, they really do this. They really theme their date nights and so much more that they have to share. So let's just get into our conversation with Alan and Julie Briggs. Alan and Julie Briggs are joining us on the show today. We are so excited to have them. They are all about Um, building into leaders, inspiring them to really just impact the world around us. They're out of Colorado Springs, one of our favorite places that we love to visit. Um, They have kiddos 14, 10, 7, and 4. And we were already commiserating about it's the first day of school. 
And they love to build into just the strengths of each other and just kind of tap into like, how are you wired? No, how are you wired? And they dabble in the Enneagram. Well, then more than dabble. And so I'm super geeked up. You and your dabbling. Super geeked up about this conversation. Julie and Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having us. Good to be with you guys. We are excited to open a can of relationship, I think, today. Is that what we're doing? Open up a can of relationship on you. Oh my gosh. And I just have to say that to our listeners, like you can't fully appreciate what's going on in this picture right now because we don't have this live on YouTube. But Alan and Julie do have a picture of Ron Swanson. Well, Alan and Julie have this beautiful backdrop to their Very Colorado-ish. And ours is the office in the middle of being redone. Yes, but they have Ron Swanson eating a steak from Parks and we and have Rack. an old box fan leaning up against a wall. <laughs> well, you know, there are reasons we don't do a video podcast right now. There are reasons. Okay, <laughs> so you guys, uh, amazing couple. How did y'all meet in the first place? Well, I think Alan can tell his version, and then I will tell the correct version. We met, okay, we met at church, and, and as she's saying, I thought an angel had descended upon the nasty theater that we were in, um, and so I wasn't worshiping Jesus that day. Uh, I was very distracted, and um, it started from there. I saw the purity of her heart first, of course, and then <laughs> I realized she was a beautiful young lady with an amazing voice, um, connected through some mutual friends. I actually wondered, I saw her with one of my guy friends and I wondered, how did he get her? And so it started from there and um, has spiraled out of control into 10 plus years of marriage. <laughs> spiraled out of control. That's okay, a great now, way to describe now, marriage, what is isn't the, it? What are the facts that are not quite right there, Julie? <laughs> well, so apparently he saw me at church and was interested. So he was the new freshly hired youth pastor and we were like 24-ish years old. And so all the single females in the church suddenly became interested in youth ministry. Um, <laughs> which I also <laughs> dispute. I don't know. Um, but not me, because I play hard to get. Now, he, uh, he approached me about, I was working for a ministry in town at the time. And he approached me about getting together for a business lunch mm. to discuss maybe the high schoolers taking a mission trip or something. Um, and about 10 minutes into the lunch, it was very clear we were, they were not going to be taking a mission trip. Ah, <laughs> fake the old, trip. let's take the high yeah. school kids on a mission trip trick. Oh, I guess yeah. that's too expensive. Sorry, let's not talk about that anymore. <laughs> Right. Well, tell me more about you. It was business. I don't remember if the church paid for that lunch or not, but I'm sure that they was, did. <laughs> it was an investment, investment that church has probably ever made. Yeah, absolutely. That's, no, but I, I thought he was awesome, and we, I think we clicked really quickly, and we just hung out like every day, and then got married. We were one of those. It happened quickly, and I was always skeptical, and they said, you know, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay, that's what people feel. So we knew that we knew it happened pretty quickly. Well, and what was interesting, though, is that all of his friends were like hardcore dude friends. They're doing adventuring and rock climbing and talking about their soul and all this kind of stuff. So when Alan comes home and says he's met this girl, I was having like interviews, like I would be sitting on a couch and yeah. there would be three guys across from me on a couch and they're asking me questions and all this in-depth stuff and then telling Alan what they thought. And I'm like, I hope my friends grill him as much. And I take him around my friends and my brothers and stuff. And they're just like, yeah, he's cool. There was some concern that she wasn't a climber right out of the gates. There was yeah. kind of a like, Ooh man, I don't know. And then I talked them off the ledge, appreciated their concerns down the line. But I also lived in a house that uh, was just a total dude pad at the time. And so she had to come into that nasty thing um, and meet with my friends. So that showed me something. She was just tough. Three brothers, no sense of smell. 
I'm like, I've hit the jackpot. I must continue. He, he pretty much proposed as soon as he found out I can't smell and I have three brothers. So. You, wow. That's a true story. You can't smell. Uh, yeah, for the most part, I got nothing. Oh, wow. Mm, anosmia. Yeah. That <laughs> I know that from watching Scrubs. It's a thing. Yeah, so, it's a real so- thing. Alan pointed out climbing isn't your thing together. Right. What, what is like, what's the, what's the thing y'all do together? We know you guys are adventurers, so there's gotta be something great there. For sure. Well, we have a lot of similarities, but we're also very different. Like we are, he's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. You know, he loves adventure. I'm more naturally cautious, but I think because I'm very naturally go with the flow. I will join him for stuff. And if it's not something that I'm particularly into, then I'm happy to let him go do it. Yeah. And, you know, because it makes him happy. We love travel together, even just getting away for a weekend, getting a couple hours away in Colorado. So a lot of our early years in marriage were going across the state, checking out a new brewery, you know, camping across the state. So we love living here in Colorado. And that obviously changes with kids, but if we can get away for the weekend, it's amazing. So yeah, yeah we before, love exploring. Before we had kids, you know, back when we had freedom, we would do lots of fun things. Um, like Alan mentioned, our first year or two of marriage, we, we got a map of all the breweries in Colorado. And so every weekend and on evenings and stuff, we would just drive around the state uh, to visit different breweries and we would just sample all the beers they made and we'd you know, compare them to other places. And that was actually a really cool season of marriage because we were getting all over the state. We were doing something that was fun. What, and so that's, what does windshield time look like for you guys? <laughs> okay, so uh, one time windshield time went really wrong. We should probably share that story here. Uh, sometimes I think windshield time is going to be like kind of detoxing from a hard week of hearing people's pain and and issues and problems. And I feel like, oh, maybe it's nice to not talk for a little bit. And I have some secret expectations. Maybe Julie should yes. tell that story on me. We've we've learned to communicate when we get in the car. What kind of drive is this going to be? Do you want to talk? Do you want to listen separately to podcasts? Do you just want to be quiet so we can be on the same page? Years and years ago, again, before kids, we were driving somewhere that took us about three hours. And I'm thinking, oh, awesome. I was driving because he was tired. We have three hours in the car. We're going to talk. We're going to catch up. It's a really boring, like, cornfield drive. And so I'm trying to talk. Little did I know, Alan's thinking, oh, I'm exhausted from this week. It's a three-hour drive. I just want to read a book, maybe nap a little against the car window. And so I'm being really annoying. And, hey, what's going on? How about this? I think she might have poked me physically at one point. Because I'm like, why aren't you talking to me? I have this expectation. This drive is really boring. You need to keep me awake. So finally, after like 20 minutes of me being super annoying, he goes, what do you want from me? (laughs) And it was just like, ah, stop messing with me. And it was the ultimate. We laugh about it all the time now. Like, I don't know, maybe a little conversation. So that's the question at the beginning of the day. What do you want from me? So now we will jokingly say that to each other all the time. What do you want from me? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm just, just a day off. Sounds good. So we love exploring. We, one of the things we're doing right now um, is the year of international. So whenever we go out for a date night, we try to hit uh, a little international place we've kind of always seen, but never stopped at in our city. And, we did the year of the taco and just taking little things that you can find adventure in the ordinary every day. Um, we can't always jump on the plane together with our kids in this season of life. So um, just kind of those, those kind of things we love. We love being with people and um, both have pretty solid friend groups here that we get together with. And I have to do a lot of that during the day or later at night after the kids are in bed. And she has an amazing group of gals that she's um, just walked with for several years. So Uh, Those are some of the things in this season that we love to do. And we're dreaming more about next season and about what that looks like as our kids get older. Uh, I love taking the boys camping as well. And we love going as a family also. So anything that involves a hot tub or a hammock, it's typically going to be a win. Amen, sister. I love it. And you did mention tacos too. That's a win. Yeah, I got to ask. Okay, wait, I want to know, first of all, what's your favorite? What was your favorite kind of taco? And... 
what did you learn about each other in the year of the taco? Because I feel like there's some important insights there. Mm, taco teachings. That's good. Okay, favorite. My namesake, the Pastor Al, also known as Al Pastor. Oh. Uh, I absolutely <laughs> love. I'm a huge fan. Um, and we, I mean, it's taco trucks in my city are everywhere. So we love driving past and like, hey, sure, why not? And cheap, really great people. What did we learn during that time? Well, I would say, I think originally we started this three years ago, uh, the idea of having a theme for our date nights, just because, uh, you know, we've been together a mere decade uh, and you can, it's easy to get stuck in routine or let's just go to movies. We don't have to talk to each other or whatever. So it was fun to say, okay, this year we're going to theme our date nights tacos. So our mission is every time we have a date, we're going to be scouring the city for different random cool taco places, you know, trying it out, trying out different things. And we loved it so much. We did two years of the taco and now we're on to international food. But uh, I think it's just been something that is fun, different, unique. We're talking about different foods, which then leads to other conversations, um, but it keeps us purposeful. I think out of a rut, I, I have a huge problem with the rut. Anything that feels like a rut to me, I'm like, oh man, I get bored so easily. So for me, it's fun to have just a new adventure um, all the time. And some of that is my Enneagram 7 for anyone listening who's you know an Enneagrammer. Uh, that's just so good for me, the spontaneity. And so it's just a blast for us. And hey, a friend told me about this place. Let's do it. So just anything like that that keeps you together, um, just that little bit of a spark and something unique. Not every place do we love. Um, some have gotten less than favorable marks, especially <laughs> later. If our stomachs rumble a little bit yeah. more than they grew up, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, they've gotten marked off for intestinal distress. But, you know, I mean, it's it's been a blast. Oh, so if you have an empty stomach, that's not a good way to head out to taco date night. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) This was at an international place. I want to clear the name of tacos. We've never had an tacos good. Yeah, there's no such thing as a bad taco. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, what international food should we try that a lot of people overlook? We don't need to blacklist specific places on our show. No, no, no. I'm not saying blacklist. I'm just saying, like, I feel like we're kind of closed. We're in, like, the Tex-Mex, like, kind of groove, rut, maybe, if you will. Like, what are some international Are you trying to throw down about tacos? No, no, no. Because it feels like you're you're essentially saying, Alan, Julie, y'all don't know tacos. No, they do. They just, do. And I just ground beef, ground beef and shredded cheese and that's it every time. Then that that's not a no. real taco. And that's offensive to them. We would never think that living in a place like Austin, that is a mecca for tacos. No. So I don't want to offend you guys at all. And say no, that you no. Don't. no, we have, no. We have deep appreciation for all tacos, regardless of <laughs> their origin point. No, Thank I was you. just going to say what international, um, like what countries do people kind of overlook? Like, oh yeah you should try kenyan food or something like that i don't know Mm -hmm. i love mediterranean Uh uh-huh yes we had some really good food from the jerusalem area Mm -hmm. and of course we enjoy ethiopian food okay from ethiopia so not only does it bring back incredible memories is it fun we bring our kids along but just the experience of if you haven't eaten ethiopian Find the place. You get to rip it off. Yeah, wash your hands. With your hands. Please wash your hands. But uh, <laughs> it is a blast. So we love Ethiopian food. We've had a couple surprising different Korean experiences. There's all kinds. There's different Korean barbecue versus more kind of I mean, Korean noodles. Anything dishes. noodles is awesome. Yeah. But we're, we're having a blast. And who knows what it'll be next year, but we have so much fun together. We're like, we're pals. We're friends. We love being together. And even though she's an introvert, she claims she doesn't need a break from me. So. That's awesome. I received that. That's what I've heard is that, it, I mean, we wouldn't know because we're both extroverts, but that introverts, like it doesn't matter. Like if you're a close party or family, that doesn't count as the people that drain your introvertedness. Is that true, Julie? I, I think so to an extent. Yeah. I mean, I could be really exhausted, but a night with my close girlfriends is still going to be awesome and fueling for me. I need a break from my children because they're all flaming extroverts. Uh, 
<laughs> but Alan is, we're not, Alan and I are not together all the time, but he really is my best friend. So whether we're talking or watching a movie or whatever, I don't really feel like I need big breaks from him. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned you adopted kids from Ethiopia that are part of your family. Yeah. So that's a big adventure. Um, tell us how that went down. I pretty much told Alan we were adopting. <laughs> okay. This oh, is a true okay. story. And true he's story. always up for anything. So let's do it. Yeah. Why not? Sounds like an adventure. Um, really when she was 17, um, God uniquely put that on her minded heart that she was going to adopt. So it's a long story. And I entered it late in the game. Uh, and so bef- literally before we were about to be engaged, we knew that that was coming and she wrote me a letter and I'm like, Oh no, what's happening. She breaking up with me. And she basically said, I am designed to mother orphans. And so you're kind of in or you're out. And it was, it was very clear. And I was like, wow, that's sexy. Like she knows what she's about, but yeah. I've never thought about adapting kids or kids that look different from me. So it wasn't like I'm against it. It was just, I had never, thought about it. I don't know that guys think about what our kids are going to look like as much as gals do, or maybe that's just me. Um, but I thought, huh, wow. I mean, that was a game changer. Who am I to stand in the way of what God has uniquely designed her to do? And, um, so that was the journey we began and we needed a couple things to fall in place. She wasn't sleeping through the night. I mean, it was time, uh, into our marriage, um, just over a year. So we, yeah, we jumped ahead in life stage quite a bit because, when we had been married just under three years, we adopted a six and a half year old and a two year old. So, you know, we've been married almost 11 years and our oldest will be 15 this fall. Um, so that kind of jumped us ahead, maybe 10 years in our <laughs> life. And so by the time we had our five year anniversary, we looked at each other and we said, surely this is our 10 year anniversary. Like we have uh, experienced uh. so much life. So not in a bad way, but it's like every year, like, are we serious? It's yeah. only been 10 years. We're only coming up on 11. Like it feels probably like 17 or 18, just because of life stage that jumps you ahead. So that was sure. certainly an adjustment on all levels, but even just our friends were thinking about kids and then suddenly, you know, we're in first grade orientation going, what are we doing? I think we experienced that from a different perspective the just reverse. <laughs> because it took so long for us to be able to have kids. Like we're kind of the older round of parents in in the classes and everything and it, it does there's there's like i i feel in some ways like oh my gosh we're behind like we uh, like personally or professionally I, like i want to be at a place that's further ahead in in my life but then there's also places where it's like oh we're we're, we're way like out here I'm, I'm sitting here talking to, to another dad or something and he's like yeah i'm 21 I'm like whoa okay <laughs> And it sounds like he hasn't gone through puberty either. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what would, I know the adoption experience is, can kind of be all over the map. Like what did you experience in your relationship? Um, you know, I'm sure the ups and downs and everything of, you know, new kids and, you know, all of a sudden you have a first grader. How did that um, shape your marriage in that season? we not only went from no kids to two kids, but we went from no kids to two kids who were traumatized. Mm. So we were figuring out. And, and also when we adopted, we were both working ministry jobs. So obviously making tons of money. (laughs) Um, I was in grad school and we were living in my parents' unfinished basement. So it was the perfect time to adopt two children. Wow. So we, uh, we brought these kids into our lives and it was this mixture of this is wonderful. And also what did we just do? Because everyone in your surrounding life is thinking, Oh, you just worked so hard and done, you know, so much stuff over the last two years, you finally have your kids. Yay. Um, and so you don't feel like you can complain to people. This is really hard. My kids are waking up screaming in the middle of the night. Like, I haven't slept more than two hours in a row. You know, I'm jealous that he gets to go off to work and I'm, I'm at home with these traumatized kids I don't know what to do with. And, uh, but he's going off to work exhausted and coming home exhausted. Like, it was, a very, it was very stressful. It was very fulfilling. We never questioned it. 
but we always, you know, in those first few months, it's very much like, okay, just make it to six months. It'll be better. Make it to six months. It'll be better. Um, and then, and it is, and then you make it six more months and now we're eight years in and our kids are just our kids. And it doesn't, that doesn't mean they don't still have trauma that kind of comes out through different developmental stages of life. Um, but we have a very open communication in our family and we can ask the kids whatever, and they can ask us whatever we'll talk about. Like, Hey, do you ever think about your birth mom? Or, Hey, do you ever wonder about this? And, and, and that I think has brought a lot of healing because they know nothing's taboo. They don't have to worry about hurting our feelings if they want to talk about their birth parents. Um, and then also on top of it, we had a baby uh, wow. a year later. So we went from no kids to three kids in 13 months. Wow. So it was stressful, but I think we just had to remember that we were not each other's enemy. Like we were both stressed out. So my stress is not Alan's fault. He needed grace from me, his, you know, and vice versa. And I think the main word that I felt was disoriented. I, I had been oriented for a kind of life and I was not experiencing that. It was not, uh, you know, life in my family growing up with two kids. It was just very, very different than anything I'd ever prepared myself for. One of the disorienting things for me was the anger I began to feel in myself. It comes from fatigue and frustration. Well, that it, entitlement of like, I don't have my, my life is not my own anymore. Like I, I deserve to sleep through a night or. I deserve to like have a cup of coffee without someone screaming or like any of those kind of things. No, I'll throw it out the window. So it, I think I had to deal with the ugliness in me and to go, Oh man. And so just kind of a reawakening in that sense, just things I had. And I think every parent goes through that, but things I had never experienced or felt. Um, and so, you know, here you are, the people are saying, Oh, that's awesome. That you did this. And you're like, oh, I'm actually a terrible human right now. I'm just trying to hold it together in many ways. So we, we survived, you know, sometimes I love to tell people sometimes surviving is thriving. And so I think we survived that season and um, did the very best we could with what we've been given. And also just remembering that whatever we were going through because our life had changed, like our kids were going through so much more because we have adult capacity to, you know, think through what's going on and process. And when you're six and two and your whole world just goes upside down and you know, that that's a, that's a lot scarier, I think. Yeah. But they're doing great and they're thriving and they're awesome kids. We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment, but we wanted to take a minute to talk about what it takes to build a legendary marriage. We're going to focus on community because we believe that isolation is the enemy of a legendary marriage and community is a big part of the solution. You see, the truth is your spouse cannot meet all your relational needs, and it's crazy to try to make them. Doing so creates unneeded strain and codependence. It's just simply not healthy. So men need to have connection and community with other good men. And women need the same with other good women. And together, you need a few couples who can stand with you as you wait find a way over, around, or through every challenge life has to offer. See, we all long for a place to belong to, for a people to belong to, a tribe where we're supported and encouraged, where we can do the same for others. And our community on Facebook makes it easy. This is a group where you can connect with other couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. So come join the conversation. Share your ideas, insights, experiences, victories, and failures in a circle of men and women who will support and encourage you. Be a part of this movement of couples. We're transforming their marriages and families forever. It's an amazing group. We hope to see you there soon. You can find us over at legendarymarriage.com slash community. And now back to the show. So you guys are very in tune with, you said you, you guys kind of studied the Enneagram and, you know, you look at the strengths in, in, um, each other. And so what things do you love about the other person that you've learned to appreciate over the years? Yeah, I'll start and brag on my beautiful bride. Um, she, in, in the purest sense, lets me be me, but not in, in an excuse sense, but she understands how I'm wired and down to adventure or down to 
uh, my day or down to a reminder um, that it's someone's birthday, knowing I'm not going to remember, even if that someone is my mom, like uh, understanding certain things about me, uh, maybe setting certain expectations low, other expectations higher. So uh, she understands me and that's super helpful. And that's so much of how God has wired her is actually to understand other people. Um, the fun that we have together. And I think just that we, we both are quality timers. And when we get together, it feels like an escape or a refuge. We could go and eat at Wendy's and it would feel like an escape or refuge just for us to be together. Um, and she's up for anything. So that was part of even our, um, her story of getting engaged was, you know, me spontaneously quote unquote, asking her to skydive. Turns out I had scheduled the whole thing, but who on a moment's notice when you're just driving past the place agrees in about 20 seconds to go skydiving. Uh, and so that was kind of a marker of she's up for anything. And she has just a deep emotional stability as well uh, in the midst of life that for me being more spontaneous, I need our family needs. Um, the IRS like needs to be paid these things called taxes and all this kind of things is super helpful to have somebody way more stable than me. Yeah. And I think, um, I think every single couple has this realization at some point that the exact things that drew you to your spouse when you were dating, like the things that were exciting and that you loved about them become the exact things that drive you crazy when you're married. You know, I mean, I feel like you could say, Oh, I loved that this guy was, you know, quiet and pensive and it seems so attractive. And then you get married and say, why is he so quiet and pensive all the time? So I think recognizing that that's a temptation and also realizing there's a reason why I fell in love with this man. And those things, those reasons don't change now that we're married. Now, maybe we have to structure lives a little bit differently or we can't be as spontaneous during certain times, but I don't want him to be a different person. Um, sure. We can both grow and change and become more healthy. And sometimes with different life experiences and phases, um, you know, we do naturally change, but the things that drew me to him, you know, his sense of adventure and his character and integrity and all that stuff. When we were dating, I still love those things. And I realized that they aren't going to flourish if he doesn't feel, you know, the ability to be himself. And same with me. Um, I feel like Alan sees me and he knows me and he will let me, you know, do what I need to do uh, for my own health. So that's been, that's been huge. And we're not perfect at this. And we've gone through seasons where, you know, we can become resentful with each other or have different expectations or needs. But overall, I feel like letting each other be who we are naturally is what keeps us liking each other. Mm, I love that so much. So we're talking about your story and, you know, every story has this kind of a, the, the transformational twist to it. Like the, the point of every great story is that the characters are changed by it. And so I'm curious, like we've talked about who you were as you were getting, coming to know each other and getting married and everything. Who are you becoming now? I, I love that question. And I absolutely agree um, is that we are waking up to who God has uniquely designed us to be. And therefore who God has not uniquely designed us to be. Mm. And um, I think the fear of pushing into that. So this really unsexy word called health, and that looks like us getting healthy and figure out what is me getting healthy look like and how do I offer that um, to, to Julie? And I liken it to when you cut something in your foot or whatever, your nerves go dead. And your nerves wake up and it actually hurts for a while. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so it's kind of those nerves waking up of like, man, this area of my life, I've just made excuses in. Or I believe things that are you know ridiculous in this, this area of my life. So it looks a lot like health um, for us. And then we believe that when you get healthy, that uh, naturally you find impact. But it's more of an effortless impact than it is a striving and a clinging and a stress Um and so uh, that's been beautiful and hard and terrible and freeing and all of those things um, at the same time. And so we're both on that journey together, but it looks very different. And so uh, addressing different areas like um, food and what we eat and what we put in our bodies and those kind of things are like the very last thing that I wanted to touch and deal with. <laughs> and, and, 
what, you know, how much does it take? It's stupid expensive to, you know, feed six people. And so what is, what does that look like to address money in a healthy way? That was an area of weakness in my life. Um, and so those kind of things, it's not been necessarily fun, but it's been really freeing. And the word I like to use is fulfilling to mm-hmm. actually be on that journey together, but in slightly different ways. Yeah. I love how you speak about the impact of it too. So it's not just the two of you getting healthy, but an impact that reverberates outward. Um, and I know that right now you, you, you're building a legacy in, and an impact in your community. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what you guys are really going after as far as an impact goes? We really believe that the next 10 years of, of our lives, a double digit commitment that we've made um, to the health of leaders and to leaders around. I mean, our, um, everybody is stressed. Everybody's behind. Everybody feels stuck. Um, and people don't know how to talk about it, particularly leaders don't feel like they can go to other people. And so we need to lead with vulnerability, but we also need to give practical solutions. And so the words that we use at, at our business, stay forth designs is ridiculously practical. And so that's one reason we love the podcast is you guys are having ridiculously practical conversations. Let's talk about going back to school. Let's talk about our marriage. Let's talk about, um, how we respond when the other person screws up. That's what people are looking for. And there's so much information out there, but there's so little wisdom out there. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be that practical wisdom in the trenches. And so um, that looks like everything from our neighborhood, just getting to know our neighbors and being characters there. So we're not seen at a distance um, all the way to a lot of the coaching that we get to do, the consulting. Um, Julie's been doing uh, Enneagram uh, coaching and, and training as well. Uh, with that, I get to come and facilitate that with churches and ministries. We get to do that together. And so helping them discover uh, how they're wired. And so that's a lot of what we're doing right now, obviously, in addition to trying to love our kids well and be present and rest and Sabbath and take fun vacations and uh, not go crazy in the midst of trying to be good parents and all that. So that looks like a whole lot of, of everything, but really focused on um, the health of leaders so they can have the greatest longevity and impact. So they're not going to hit a wall and just to be those people that, that folks can come to. In that. And don't you yeah. have a little book that you wrote about it too, Alan? Yeah, it's called Right Side Up Leader. <laughs> and, um, I honestly wanted to do an ebook because I couldn't wait 18 months to get it out. I see so many leadership crashes and everybody wants to talk about it. And so um, honestly, in a couple of weeks, pulled out everything in my head and heart about this, this topic in about 40 pages and just said, Let's just treat this as a conversation starter. And so kind of everything we're doing is in the lens of right side up leadership in an upside down world. We've, I mean, our world is turned upside down. These crazy things we carry, these computers in our pockets, um, we are so glued to them, all of us, right? I, I mean, I have to sometimes hand this to Julie or she takes it so that we are not thinking about emails or whatever else. Like that's how jacked up we become. We don't even want to rest. We don't even want to go have fun. Um, and so I just think everything that we do is in that lens of how do we help people become right side up and sort of tip the boat back over in that sense. I think it's so timely just uh, like in, in the church world, like in the last few weeks, there've been uh, big stories around, around leaders having failings and, and being in circumstances that leave such a ripple effect. And we see that organizationally, you know, I, I, I see that in the corporate world as well. But it's when you're talking about just being leaders as as individuals in a marriage, in a business, in a ministry, um, that that idea of knowing yourself and being able to find the right side mm-hmm. is so important. What does that look like? What can you share from with us from the from the book? So I will say this: we see the big crash, and it's devastating. Mm -hmm. But actually what probably drives me nuts more is the slow fade. You guys see marriages, sure, you hear about affairs, but then there's the slow fade where people just slowly fell out of love. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the piece for me. It's like, when did we start believing a lie? When did we get disconnected from our hearts? When did we um, believe that life has to suck or marriage has to be neutral or normal? And so I think it actually starts with a lot of that reality. A lot of us can't identify with a, a crazy, massive, extreme story. 
um, it, that's, that's in the news, but everyone can identify with the slow fade. So I think it, it starts there and some of those little compromises that we make. And, and I think it's the risk. I think it's just us saying uh, wholeness is a risk and wholeness in our marriage is a risk. And the little risks that we take even, what does that look like to share something with each other? What does that look like to get away for a few days when you're never going to have the time or money just naturally fall into your lap? That's the risk, I think, if we want wholeness. Yes. Yeah, and I, I have certainly found... So a few years ago, I became that friend who's like really annoyingly obsessed with all the personality stuff. Um, but <laughs> trying friend. to turn some good from that little obsession... Because it was just like so many light bulbs were going off in my mind where no matter what kind of personality stuff I was studying, you can see people are just hardwired differently. People have different ways of seeing the world. That's why you can interact with somebody and think, how can they have such a different view or opinion from me? Like I could not logic myself into thinking or feeling or acting the way they do and vice versa. So... I think when we can truly understand ourselves and maybe why we are the way we are, how we were hardwired to be, it may look very different whether we're healthy or unhealthy, but, and then if we can understand that about our, you know, our spouses, our bosses, our kids, I can look at Alan and see ways that he's different from me or maybe behaviors that might drive me crazy because I wouldn't do it that way or whatever. And I can look at him and, say that's fine because he it's not wrong it's just different than me because he has a different way of seeing or observing the world I can look at my kids who are all very different from each other and who most of them are very different from me and instead of badgering them to become mini me's which they will never be I can appreciate their differences and even when they struggle I can say you're not struggling because there's something wrong with you mm. you're struggling because you're a circle and school is a box and it's not a perfect fit right now, but you just got to do your best and, yeah. you know, get out into the world and, and truly be who you are. Um, and I want to, I want to vent for a second on premarital counseling. Most premarital yeah. counseling sucks. Can I just say that <laughs> you, you have to get that on the podcast and do it, but it's so bad. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, like I wouldn't personally recommend it. And so for us, we actually approached, it was six different couples who we admired in different ways, um, who had seen all kinds of different victories. And we invested dinner. We just treated these six couples to dinner. And none of them would we say, oh, they're perfect in everything. or They're great in everything. Of course not. We knew this one sliver of their life. And others had recommended them to us. And we just asked them questions. And so I think for years, I thought, why does premarital counseling suck? And so we actually are beginning to launch premarital coaching. And so for us, it looks like understanding how the other person is wired and go, you're going to feel this when he does this based on how you're wired, based on what you love about him and you're about to hate about him uh, in the midst of life, the challenges. So we're pretty excited about that. It's just always driven me crazy that we don't have something better. And it's kind of one of those things, well, if it drives you crazy, maybe you should create better. And so yes. we're really excited for how that's yeah. starting to come together. Okay. So can we pick your brain on this just for just, I know we got to wrap up here, but I know you guys are like into the Enneagram and all that. So I'm an eight. Justin is a four and he doesn't even like me to say that he's a four because that's like putting him in the box too much, but which totally makes sense to you. I'm sure. And because uh, I don't, I'm not a four. I have four tendencies. Exactly. You I'm are not a number. It, you are not a, a, a result okay. of an assessment. Got it. Got it. We got you it. We're all, we're all coaches. We get it here. Um, but um, what do you think is the biggest challenge and the biggest, um, you know, payoff for having an eight and a four as a couple? Hmm. Well, I'm a firm believer that any numbers, any types of people in health can be a great match and benefit to each other. I don't subscribe to the idea that like, oh, this number and this number should never get together or these two personality types would never get together. So I think there's just beauty in you understanding maybe more about how a, how somebody who identifies with four tendencies ticks and there you go <laughs> and him understanding that 
about you. So if you're, if you're an eight and maybe you are feel more comfortable with challenge and confrontation and you're okay speaking your mind, um, if you guys are having a disagreement or something like that, or you're just voicing an opinion, he can realize this is part of who she is. This is not an exaggeration for like, she's not overly mad at me right now. She's expressing her part and her opinions. And this is her norm. And fours can see beauty in the world and stop and smell the flowers and maybe therefore play in them a little bit and adventure uh, a little bit. And so my guess is that Justin's going to be able to slow you down in certain moments and see certain things and go, oh, this is beautiful when you're excited to charge ahead and drive and kind of directive. And so kind of a, a beautiful slowing down, that would be my guess. And um, I love uh, healthy aids because they're driving, they're going somewhere and people love a vision and say, oh, okay, cool. I'm, I'm in. And so I think like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of healthy eights. I'm a big fan of every number, but I think eights have gotten a bad rap, um, in kind of the Enneagram world right now. Um, and so actually female eights, um, tend to get a bad rap, uh, as well, which is, which is sad. They feel like they can't be themselves and they're called certain words growing up that we won't say on this podcast. But, um, I just think that word a couple episodes. Yeah, I did. I did. Wow. Okay. I had to, I had to mark the episode as explicit. I can't believe she would call you that on the air, Justin. I know. Anyway, uh, it was really uncomfortable. Uh, it was really just understanding each other is a good, good start. And then the the moments where you recognize, oh, that's that's you. Maybe God has uniquely wired you for that. And that's actually a gift to our relationship that you just offered that and didn't even mean to. It's yeah. just who you are. And realizing that you two view the world and experience the world differently. And that will never change. So you can um, learn from each other and, uh, you know, benefit from, I benefit from Alan's way of seeing the world all the time. And I have more grace on him in areas that I used to feel like, why aren't you better at this? Why can't I go to you and just like commiserate with all of my pain and hash out that stuff? Well, because he is hardwired to want to escape pain. So of course he's not going to be all excited after he comes home from a day of, at work, hearing about other people's pain. He doesn't want to come home and then hear about more pain. I'm pained out. I'm done. I'm done so, with pain. I can handle that stuff. So I'm like, tell me all the hard stuff that's going on. And he's like, no, let's go on a hike. The, the best thing that Julie says to me regularly is Alan, the world is not like you. And so it's so, it's so good for me to realize like, why doesn't this drive everyone else crazy? Because they're not you. And so that's been so good. And it happens multiple times a year for a major aha moment. The world is not like you. Whoa, that was mind-blowing that you just said that. You're right. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way. But also grace on yourself. Like, I am a nine. I'm more about peace and harmony. I want to mediate. I just want everybody to get along. Like, please don't make a big deal. I'm not into drama. When people make a big deal out of something that is not a big deal, it drives me nuts. But I know now that that's just part of my hardwiring. So I used to think, why is it so easy for that person to, you know, say these bold words or to speak out for this cause or to speak up for themselves more when I was younger? And, and why is it so hard for me? Well, now I understand. It's not a deficit in me. I'm just programmed differently. Mm-hmm. You guys, this has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad y'all came on the show. Yes. It's awesome to be with you guys. We love following along and listening. Our vacation was filled with multiple episodes. All right. Like- That's what we like to hear. Thanks for like badgering each other. It makes us feel very normal. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We enjoy badgering each other. So since we've recorded this interview... I've really taken into my soul. I've internalized the wisdom that they've dropped. Tell me about it. The, what do you want from me? I mean, I know they say it as a joke, (laughs) but you could really use it in any circumstances. Chores, kids, in the boudoir. Oh, there we go. What do you want from me? I'll tell you what I want from you. Nothing. Right. Nothing. I, Honey, nothing. Wow. I left you speechless. I'm just thinking of all the implications of that. One point for me. No, we've used it multiple times. Like, and it wasn't even that long ago that we recorded this interview. Um, 
it really does help because sometimes we can get into arguments just under unmet expectations. So yes. it's super helpful. So here is the talk about it segment. And of the now show. the talk about it segment of the show. Each week we challenge you to set a conversation with your spouse and have a conversation that matters. Yeah. So today, Alan and Julie shared about, um, what do you want from me? So I, here's the challenge. I want to know where is an area of life where you need to set some expectations and ask, what do you want from me? Maybe <laughs> it's maybe it's dealing with the kids. So, maybe so it's, a clarifying conversation. Yeah, like pick pick something. That'll be interesting. Like, pick I, something like date night, okay? Like, what do you want from me? I want you to plan it. I want you to make reservations. I want you to surprise me this weekend and bring me flowers, okay? <laughs> don't, don't, don't miss it. There you go. There you go. This will be interesting because I think with every clarifying conversation, there often comes a clearing conversation. When you're talking about unmet, unmet expectations, yeah. there's always some, some old stuff that comes up. Okay, here's my question. And, and so it, it'll likely turn into a clearing conversation too. I love it. So if I were to say to you, date night, I, I just want you to plan something, sweep me off my feet. We are going to it. see Ant-Man and the Wasp. All right. Deal's done. All right. As always, we're talking about all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more over in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. All right. Finally, we want to help more couples have the conversations that matter. So if you love the show, then please let us know. Jump on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 090. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.